Podcast presents Django the Bastard. Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Run Podcast. I'm Ryan from Coltsploitation.com and I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? I'm pretty good, pretty good on a somewhat sweltering day as we're sitting here in a closed off room, no ventilation. Bringing you an episode on Django the Bastard. You all asked for it. Everybody wanted... <laughs> Just kidding. No one wanted Django the Bastard. We did put a poll out. Um, I put a poll out on Twitter because I was wondering uh, what everybody wanted us to do. Did they want us to do Django the Bastard or did they want us to do um, Black Shampoo? Because we had we had said we were going to do... Uh, one of the two, we we wanted to do some sort of spaghetti western or a black exploitation film, and I put the the poll out, and we had a whole lot of not not that many. We didn't have that many votes, but the votes. <laughs> to, we were talking to be, up. To be just, fair, we were uh, talking up. We're just supposed to say. You know, we had some votes. We had voting. <laughs> we had, and the voting came we had, in. We had it, some votes, and it came in for Django. Yeah, and it came in for Django the Bastard. That is true. It did come in for Django the Bastard. Unfortunately for us and them, it wrong Django film. Yeah, I mean, so when you hear Django, you're thinking like, okay, um, you know, the, I know Django, Django Unchained, right? Django, the original Django, but in in Italian land. There were many, many Django films that really didn't have anything to do with the original Django. Uh, And as we'll talk about when we do this episode, this Django doesn't really have much relation to the original Django, who is Franco Nero. And so this one is really just like a blatant copyright ripoff. Like, you know what did really well? Django. So let's use the name Django. And that was pretty much it. Well, I was asking you, because you know Italian films better than I do. I was asking, I go, I'm like, so how, how, what is Italian copyright like? Or are they just like, hey, you know what? If you got, like, the first name, the same first name as the guy who worked on the past one, you can just, you know, you can just fucking do it. Pretty much. You know. I, I, I hey, don't know. Uh, yeah. Django was directed by a Sergio. My name is Sergio. I want to make a Django film. Yeah, I, I don't know that much about uh, Italian copyright. I wouldn't say happens. I know that much about American copyright, but uh, as you can tell, because we just use music willy-nilly on here and get copyright takedowns all the time, but... Um, <laughs> We, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about Italian copyright, but I'm assuming that, yeah, at some point someone was like, you want to make Spaghetti Western with Django as the name? Or the other thing was somebody had a good lawyer and they were like, yeah, so they use the name Django. What if I made my gunslinger Michael? There's a lot of Michaels out there. So who cares if I use the first name Django? Um, but it's just like, a, it's just a common Italian thing. Like, you yeah. know, you th- like one of the big ones I think it was like Troll 2 had nothing to do with the original Troll. Get but, away you know, with it. Just, yeah. yeah, it's a well-known gonna, franchise. We're just going to use the name and yeah. get away with it. And yeah, um, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know why it was acceptable, but it was. Probably still is. Just, yeah. Get away with it. You yeah. want to call your film Suspiria? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So, we, like I said, Django won. Now, I don't know how many fans there are out there of Django the Bastard, um, specifically, but it is not one of the better known spaghetti western films of the time, and actually, it came during 1969, which was sort of the tail end of 
spaghetti Western films, like their popularity at the time. So, you know, we had had a lot of films in the early to mid 60s that were spaghetti Westerns that were fairly popular. And then as you get towards the end of the 60s, that sort of is dying away. Um, I would say until the mid 70s. Yeah, I mean, there were some for sure. Like Blazing Saddles didn't come out until 72, 73. Right, but that was on the tail end where it was parodying what had already come. So I know, but with the amount yeah. of films that they were pumping out at the time, there's like 100 of them in 68. So it's, yeah. you could do, you know. I mean, I think that it was still something where, you know, you had some spaghetti westerns coming out at the time that may have been uh, sort of like a death knell for it where it was like, you know what, everybody's doing it a spaghetti western, I'm going to do one too. So uh, random Spanish guy who can stand in as an Italian guy uh, is starring in this spaghetti western. But for the most part, I, I, I think that by that point, uh, the best, the better films in the spaghetti western uh, series had been out. And you had those people now that were really just trying to rip off uh, with whatever possible. Um, so this, I mean, and like we said, this isn't really something new for Italian films, uh, late into the seventies and eighties. It was also very characteristic of Italian films to just, um, try to capture the, the limelight of what other films were doing. Uh, I'm thinking of, um, one of them that's pretty, uh, that stands out fairly well is shocking dark, which is really a, uh, Terminator ripoff. And it even went by the name Terminator 2 at some points. Um, and you have a couple other films. Actually, Severin Films just released one not too long ago, which is called Robo War. That is a direct ripoff of Predator. And so you had this going on all the time. And I think Django the Bastard is one of those films that it sits very well in that. Like They found a, a niche that had been doing really well. And so they said, you know what? We're just going to make one like it. And a lot of people like to, if you look up some um, critical analysis of Django the Bastard, which I mean, we'll talk about this a little later, but can you really analyze Django the Bastard that well? But anyway, if you look at some critical analysis of it, a lot of people will say that, um, yes, it sort of did rip off the Man with No Name series um, because our main character uh, Anthony Stephan is really, really trying hard to be Clint Eastwood. Very, very hard. Just in terms of the design of his character and the way that he delivers lines. It's hey, all, man, I say him hey and Frank. Yeah, it's, it's sort of a combination of both. Um, but not only that, but you also have um, just a very, very, very generic spaghetti westerns film. It's it's a revenge film. And first and foremost, and that's really it throughout the entire movie. It's the entire plot is just this revenge film that bears a striking resemblance to the man with no name films. Um, even to the point where you have a sort of different plot device, but in this, in Django, the bastard Django is going around buying uh, crosses to put down in like the middle of town to say like, you're next, you know, you're on my list and I'm coming for you. And, and here's your date of death, basically. And that's sort of like the idea behind buying cro- uh, buying uh, coffins for people and getting them prepared uh, for burial. So and it's also a thing from the original Django. True. Yeah. The, the coffin thing. Yeah. But every time I think of that, I mean, in full disclosure, neither of us have seen a Django film. I've only seen Tarantino's Django Unchained. Mm. Um, 
But every time I think of the co- the whole coffin thing, I just think of Trigun. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And well, I mean, obviously, <laughs> those again were taken from spaghetti western films. Django or uh, Trigun is very influenced by spaghetti western. Movies. Yeah. No, I know, but that's all. Because yeah, that's where I'm familiar with that whole gimmick from. Yeah. You know, like dragging coffins around. You know. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. Um. So the and the other thing too is that uh, when you read critical analysis, you'll find that a lot of people like to cite Django the Bastard as being a precursor to the supernatural element that comes up in um, some of the later spaghetti western movies, and uh, they actually deem this movie a gothic spaghetti western, which is an int- that's what drew my attention really is the term gothic spaghetti western because. Uh, I'm not really familiar with a lot of the supernatural elements to spaghetti westerns. I've never really seen one. I know that there are a few, and one of them would be uh, um, Clint Eastwood's film um, High Plains Drifter. But at the same time, they're just not really that familiar to me. And, And terming this gothic was something that stuck out to me as a horror fan because I was wondering what they could do with a spaghetti western to make it a gothic style film. Um, when High Plains Drifter came out after this too. It did, yes, yes. So Django the Bastard is often cited as being an inspiration to uh, High Plains Drifter, which a lot of people do disagree with too. Um, but so back to my gothic point though, you know, gothic is a is an atmospheric thing. It's, uh, you know, you have moody sets. You have, uh, like, a, a lot of times you have, like, this very big mansion-style home that is draped in darkness and, and uh, foggy. And so you have that, um, that... That was what stuck out to me with gothic nature, is that you're going to have this mood and atmosphere throughout um, Django the Bastard that would elicit the gothic element. Makes me think of House on Haunted Hill. Sure, yeah, a very gothic element, yeah. This um, film is not that. No, no. <laughs> and that was what was really surprising when watching it, because I've seen some terms bandied around, <laughs> spooky being one of them, and I would certainly not call Django the Bastard spooky. Um, I might might throw in Goofy. Uh, goofy might be a good name for if it. If anything, but, like, like I said, and I don't know if you agree with me or not, the set on here is not gothic at all. No, I don't. It yeah. looks like if, like they like they rented the little house on the prairie set, you know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know where the term gothic came from in this, but I really don't get that feeling. Even though there are those moments where there's like fog here and there distributed, and you have um, Django flitting around and being sort of like there and then disappearing, like Batman or something like you know that. They sh- they sh- well, you know what they should have done is have him because uh, like just like. I'm a ghost, boogie 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 boogie. Yeah. like you know, have like gliding around. Well, in some of those those instances though, where he is like Scooby doing it and just like hanging out on in corridors is pretty funny because you see him sometimes like uh, he. There's one scene where he's hiding underneath a wagon, and then he uh, there. It's very telegraphed that like this guy's gonna check under the wagon, so you know when the camera pans back that he's gonna be gone from underneath the wagon. So he's in, he's gone from underneath the wagon. Then all of a sudden he shows up in like a, a barn corridor, and people walk past, and he's kind of like stuck next to the wall. It's kind of funny in in a way. It's I wouldn't say it's spooky or scary, but it's funny in a way because like. Sometimes they'll show Django as being this very supernatural guy, this element. He's there, and then he disappears. He's totally gone. But by the end of the film, we find out, yeah, he's just a regular dude who's pretty good at hiding sometimes. <laughs> and I don't think it's that. I think it's just his enemies are idiots. 
Yeah, that too. Yeah. But like, it's just funny because the, the film takes a shift towards the end where now we're not seeing Django as like this, uh, immune, uh, ghostly element. We're seeing him for the human that he is, and he's not doing a very good job at the end of the film, like trying to fight off 50 different, uh, men in town. So I, I did think that was pretty interesting to see like the change that, that that goes through Django the Bastard as you get closer to the end of the film where it's it almost seems like they were struggling um, to figure out like how can we make Django in this scenario feel like he is uh, at odds with 50 men even though throughout the entire film we've made him seem invincible. So there was like that issue of trying to figure out like can we get the audience to feel some concern for Django when it's really not been a, an issue throughout the movie? Uh, should we take a quick break? We actually have some beer to talk about on it's this like show. The first time in five episodes. You know what? It's you because thought we were getting rid of that. <laughs> no, we've just been cheap and haven't been buying any beer. Uh, yeah, no. And that's the other thing I wanted to plug. If you would like to send us like two beers or something like that, like of, a, of, of your choice, like a special brew that we don't have access to, do you want to hear plugged on the show? We'd certainly appreciate that. You can write to us at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com and let us know and we'll give you our address and you can send it. I'm actually moving. So I might give you the new address. You can be my first package at the new house. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's an option. I was just saying, and, and also we, I probably should throw out there for legal reasons. We don't condone shipping alcohol in the United States. I think it's illegal, but if you do do it, package it well. So it's just, this is just a disclaimer. We can't, it's, le- I, I, it's legal. You just need permits. Right. Yeah. I, I, I can't stop you from doing whatever you want to do. I'm not saying you should do it. I'm saying you could do it. And if you do do it, please package it correctly. So it's not breakable or anything like that because that's just a sad waste all around. Uh, So, yeah, I I did uh, get a new beer yesterday. I was in the mood for getting something new. And I'll be honest with you, um, I do like going to the bar and stuff and getting new things. But when it comes to buying things in the store, I have been routinely disappointed by what's available to us right now. I don't. We just don't have a big selection in the store. No, you're right. That's why I go to like when we go out. That's why I like, oh, get that. Something new. Something yeah, different. you get something new. Now when I go to the store, it's like I'll have either Miller Lite or like whatever Jenny's got. It's just, you know, living, small town living, you don't get a big selection of stuff to try out. So, or you do and you just ran through it all. Or you do and it's like fucking $18 a four pack. Just on the other side of no, fuck that. You know, you don't want to give balance point your money for, you know, uh, not anymore. $23 for a six pack. Do a six dollar draft, but I won't do a ridiculous. They gotta sell it for that price because San Diego's just, as you said, so expensive. So it know. is true. It is true. <laughs> gotta mark it up. So I did get a new pack though, and it was a six pack from Dogfish Hub, and uh, a brand I like, a brand I never buy. It's yeah. It's Again, it's an expensive style for around here. Um, I do like most of Dogfish Head's beers that I've had. And uh, I wanted to try this one because I do I, – I am curious about the new um, trend of putting out low-calorie beers. I think it's a good idea. I've, uh, the problem is is that every single low-calorie beer ends up being a session beer because you can't have a high-alcohol content and a low-calorie beer. It just doesn't work that way, people. It's the sugars. You just can't do it. Science. If they could do it, that would be great. Well, I just don't, <laughs> I just don't understand why it's always got to be a session IPA. 
True. I mean, Why well, not? we have seen That's, others do low-calorie beers, like um, Saranac did their Belgian yeah. white, which is kind of nice. You know, they, they went a different style. But, yeah, almost everybody now, if they're doing a session, they're it's doing okay. yeah, they're doing an IPA. And I think it's because of the ease of making it into a lower alcohol percentage. Why not just, like, try your hand at a light lager? That is true, too. That'd be something, you know, why Like not? a nice, light... See, like, hey, we can make a light lager, but make it actually taste like something. Yeah. Compared to Bud Light. That is true. They should. I think it's mainly because, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not the biggest, outside like Miller Light. I'm not that big of a light lager fan, but I'd be, some, I would like to see like a craft beer, at least for just try it, at least. I'd, I'd love to see them, like everybody coming out with like a low calorie cerveza. Because like, um, awesome. you know, we both like a lot, Founders... Solid gold. Yeah. And that's their take at, like, a traditional, like, just um, pills, you know. Miami pills. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, delightful. So I don't think there's anything stopping them from doing it, just except, like, the connotation, the negative connotation that would come with it. Like, oh, because we're craft brewers. Can't do that. I'm not saying it's be, like, the the ideal beer. I just, like, again, because I'm sick and tired of of IPAs. Mm-hmm. Banding about like the one you got now, it's like oh they just kind of gussied it up a little bit, you know. And it's like you're not even trying; you're just like taking random shit in the in your brewery. Like, well, can we fucking put in it? And we got some rutabagas lying around. Let's fucking put them in there. And see how <laughs> that turns out. I am a I am a fan of IPAs though. I just seek out the all, all this all the new ones. No, but I, I like why. them and I'm willing to try them. But like like you said, I want to do that like at a bar. Like I haven't had that Nipa yet. Mm-hmm. Billion different Nipas. Yeah. It's yeah, it's But not- when it comes to buying them, I have like no interest. I'm like I don't need to try my 30th Nipa. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's not something that you go out of your way to grab at the store and try to, you know, get a whole pack of them. Cuz you go to a bar, you drink two, three beers, you know, or we're like out to eat or something. Yep. They have like twenty different nipers. Like you pick three that you have in the hand, bang, bang, and you knock them out right there. Yep. You're like you can go good. They're all good. I wouldn't buy them though, but you know. <laughs> well, the one that we have on the show today is Dogfish Heads uh, Slightly Mighty Low Cal IPA. So that is a IPA that clocks in about four uh, percent, ninety five calories, three point six carbs. And uh, it is, it, I guess they are, they've used what they call a mighty aromatic hop. So the aromatic hop gives the, the hop flavor while also maintaining that lightness to it. And they've added monk fruit here as a monk <laughs> fruit extract, I think it is, uh, to balance it out with, balance those hop flavors out with a little bit of a fruity tart taste to it. Mm, see? Whatever they had lying around. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I've never had m- monk fruit on its own. I don't know what it would taste like myself. Well, but who, who does that? I don't know. Outside of the people who work in QC at my PC, <laughs> that, whose sole job is just to cut fruits and vegetables up and taste them and eat them. Um, I've, I've never seen a monk fruit in real life. It's like how people say they've, I, I guess like somebody somewhere in like San Francisco is like, you've never seen a monk fruit. It's like how people in cities are like, I've never seen a cow. 
Well, we've never seen a monk fruit because we don't actually, live in Richie Rich. Actually, at the DC the other day, I saw a fruit. It's like called a rutabarb or something. They look like giant red sea urchins. Oh, so they're like a cross between our rutabaga and rhubarb or something like that. I don't know, but it just it looks. I don't. I don't know how you actually pronounce it. The one guy that saw uh, I work in QA with that saw it, he's like, I found this. It's called like a rutabarb or rutabit something. Hmm. And I went and took a look at it with him, and he's like, Yeah, don't they look like sea urchins? And I'm like. It does. They look like giant red sea urchins. Hmm. Never heard of it. Yeah. Apparently you can get them at our Walmart, which I found funny because I made my manager laugh. Because I was like, I don't think we'd have that at our Walmart. The most exotic thing they get there is bananas. Apparently they got it. Yeah. Moving on up. So uh, the Locale IPA, um, I think it's pretty good. It's a very light IPA, so you're not getting a a huge uh, hop profile from it. Not getting a big monk fruit flavor from it either. I do get the monk fruit. I get it towards the end of the the palate when you are sort of on the swallow and you get you've gotten the hop profile, but then you also get a slight cut of tartness to it that stands out at the end. So I I enjoy it. I think it's pretty good. Um, with that said, and I think this happens with most of the locality beers. Um, it's nothing amazing. Uh, it's not something that you're like going to go out of your way to get time and again. Um, but as a low-calorie beer, if you're looking to have something what everybody likes to term for IPAs now, crushable, if you want something crushable, uh, this is a good beer for you to try. Um, like I said, it's not going to wow you. You're not going to go out of your mind to be like, the flavors of this one. But uh, it's 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 pretty good. I, I liked it. I think the the hop flavor in it is good and 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 pretty well balanced. I think you said you thought it was a little bit on the watery side. It, I found it to be very underwhelming. Um, it's a pretty watery session IPA. I didn't taste any fruitiness to it. Very slight hop character to it. Very slight. We all know that like Martin's just, palate is not that great. So <laughs> <laughs> keep that in mind. Um. Yeah, it was like barely hoppy, just like enough to like kind of tickle your, you know, tickle your tongue a little bit, but not mm. enough. And I just thought it was overwhelmingly like a watery, unflavorful beer. Um, I would much rather drink like a Harpoon Rec League. Mm. That yeah. that's at least like a session pale ale. That's it, and that's hoppier than this. Yeah, and lower on the uh, uh, the ABV too. So. Mm. I liked Unim- it. Unimpressed. I-, I thought it was pretty good. Martin did not. Um, it is what it is. Yeah. Oh well. I'd rather just. I'd rather have like a blue light than I guess. You know what? Tried a new one though. Got a new one under Slo- her belt. Slowly but surely, just building that untapped catalog. That's right. Like I said, send us some stuff if you got it. We'll even we can send you something in return. We don't have good. We don't have that much good stuff around here. But if you want some browns. You want some Druthers? Um, artisanal Brew Works? We can get it for you. This is pretty much what we're limited to around here. So, Stump City? Yeah. Stump Sagging City. Nice be local craft. Up? When is that opening up? Have they said yet? No, it still says coming soon. Yeah, I remember. But they do have it at Project 29. They have a beer at Project 29? Yes. Huh. I saw I saw on like the untapped notifications. Great second dog. Huh. I think they're the one. So they're place. brewing it, but just not able to have an actual location yet. Well, I Interesting. Think be that little shack that they got. Oh yeah, it is, but it's just like clearly not ready. They yeah. they said it was going to be like August to September, and it is way far from that. I would Probably. say 
Well, it doesn't I look would, anywhere near well, where we'll I... have to like maybe go on Friday and check it out. Yeah. At Project 29. Yeah, I'll have to try it. Maybe once they I open up, I can, it. maybe once they open up, we'll be like, hey, we'll do a podcast episode there. There you go. Draw some people and yeah. do the same thing at Stump. Like, hey, let's go. You'd be like, your listener base is people from Gloversville. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Um, all right. All little, right. little known fact, the Glove City's big Jello fans. Yeah, right? Yeah. Big Actually, though, Schenectady is a uh, fairly big cult film uh, people. They routinely now have a um, a film f- f- uh, showing each Thursday night, I think. Well, because it's the, it's the gussied up version of Troy. Yeah. So, so that's pretty cool. And I've always meant to get there, but I haven't been able to get there on a Thursday night. I did want to go out there uh, to Proctor's when the Book of Mormon was playing. Mm. Mm. Didn't get to. Oh, well. All right, so uh, Django Il Bastardo, uh, also known as the Stranger's Gunman. Which name's better? Between Django the Bastard and the Stranger's Gunman? Uh, Django the Bastard. Well, you know what? If you were, the Oh, I'm sorry. I, I said Gunman, but it's the Stranger's Gun Down. That makes way more sense. <laughs> I was like, Gunman doesn't really make much sense. Uh, the Stranger's Gun Down. So I think it was... so. Now again, you you get into the nuance of Italian cinema, where it had seven names, <laughs> and it was released under each name in a different region of Italy, and and then it went to the United States, and they renamed it again. Uh, honestly, I don't know at this point what the real name of it is. I w- I'm assuming Django Il Bastardo was the Italian name, and now they've adopted that for this release from Synapse Films. Well, because... Being the prudes that America is. We can't have a film with the name Bastard in it. Yeah. Um, but I would assume... You, you want all the rape and violence? Sure, we'll have that. But cussing and <laughs> sex, no. no, no. I, I do think that the the film was uh, then released as a stranger's gun down elsewhere. And... Um, it's such a bland name. It is a bland name, yeah. I can see why they went with Django the Bastard. They should have just called it The Bastard. It's fun, kind of funny because Django's not really the bastard in this movie. I don't know. They're all bastards. They're all bastards. That's true. Except Brett. <laughs> Brett with the little Kurt, kid's hat. Little Kurt Angle from the WWE back when him and Stone Cold were heels together in their cowboy hats. He's got the little Kurt Angle cowboy hat on. It's magical. Well, you know what? Sometimes when you're in a shootout, you don't want to be hindered by... The hat falling over your eyes. Well, why does he even bother having the you know little chin strap on his hat? I don't. It's so it's so small. So small just, just sticks right yeah, to the head stick, anyway. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know about the chin strap. That, like, I was just thinking, you know, like economically, it's a little bit easier to have it like sit on the back of your head, so you don't have to like almost like a yarmulke, so you don't have to worry about it falling into your face when you're trying to pull your gun out with yeah, a the really whole, exaggerated. Uh, the whole point of those hats though in the west is to keep the sun out. That's true too. Does, does not does nothing for him, right? How's he going to keep the sun out? He didn't have sunglasses either. Yeah. He was pretty tan too. Oh, Probably very, doesn't have sunblock very, either. Very tan. How many of these spaghetti western actor actors ended up getting skin cancer at some point? <laughs> Anthony Steffen is like surprisingly tan too. I know that's in their in their blood. You know that's their <laughs> genetics to be tan. But at the same time. I was just like left astounded, like man. Do you think they told him like to run out there like with like oil on, 
just get a nice bake on. You know, nice, you know, nice and, you know. But it, that, that's true of, like, every single Spaghetti Western. Because they've been out in the fucking desert sun shooting in Arizona or... No, they don't go, they don't go to Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. But they've been out there and they've been shooting in the sun. And I can imagine, like, at a certain point just getting... Baked. You'd think with like where they shoot out in like Spain, where those like plateaus and whatnot are. Yeah, they would just have like a set already built, and they just like use it for every fucking film. Well, Django the Bastard's set does look a lot like other sets from the time. It looks very very similar. Yeah, but they just painted it a ridiculous pastel colors. Yeah, yeah, that's why they were the seventies before the seventies. One thing about Django the Bastard that does stand out is that it um, does have a different color scheme, like the. Some guys are wearing like pink undershirts. It's not really common. Um, I don't. It's just a different color scheme and, and style than most spaghetti western movies are. No the, one's eating with wooden bowls and forks. It's a very, but it does seem like a very Italian thing, though. Yeah, like, yeah we gotta make it bright and pretty. You know, Sergio Leone did it for like historical accuracy. He actually, you know, like this is why they wore dusters and this is what they looked like, and yeah, you know, everything like you know, detail. You think this one was just more so for like how it looks, how it looks cool, looks nice? Well, I don't think they had a fucking budget, so they didn't give a shit because they look like it's like you know, clearly like the sixties. Yeah, you know, with everyone's like page boy haircuts (laughs) and all that, they just you know. Slapped a couple of things on, like yeah, like all their gun belts look like they were taken out of like Toys R Us. One thing I do like is uh, Django's poncho. I love ponchos. Like even his, bo- like his boots looks incredibly cheap. <laughs> they look like just like like generic. Well, like that's like actually, I got my I got my galoshes on my nice slicker boots. So that's actually a character trait though, because Django doesn't care about money. So maybe they were just like, you know what, Django doesn't care about money, so he's gonna have all cheap shit. He stole it off of everybody. <laughs> he stole it off dead people and. Took it for himself, and he doesn't care about any money, so he doesn't buy anything. Well, I mean, it looks they look like rubber boots, and that wasn't a thing back then. Yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have that. They didn't know how to vulcanize rubber. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so Django the Bastard, um, definitely, so it, it takes place during the Civil, or well, it's actually after the Civil War. 1881. Yeah, it takes place after the Civil War. They got their numbers a little mixed up, though, because... Uh, supposed to be the reason for revenge is 13 years ago when his confederate, you know, platoon was betrayed. They would put, you know, put the year in 1868. War was over for three years. Yeah, I don't... Even, even out in the West, you know, the fighting was basically stopped by then. Well, there's a couple things that are weird about the timeline. You mentioned the... The fighting would probably have been over if, if that was actually the case 13 years ago. But also, why did it take Django 13 years to fucking find the rest of his uh, his um, leaders of his Confederate troop and actually murder them? Because he does it in the span of a couple days in Django the Bastard. And not only that, from what we hear from the one woman in the film, she's so remarkable I can't remember her name. <laughs> They only say it like two times like because a, it's like she basically or? she's called Tramp. Whore. Yeah. Uh, no, I think her name is Al- Alita. Yeah. Well, Alita, she, um, when she's getting in a fight with the one uh, Murdoch. Yep. Um, he's. She was like, oh, he was saying how he, she's a gold digger um, and how he's one of the, from the one of the wealthiest families in all the, not the county, 
You would think like they'd stick small, like in county. No, he says country. <laughs> but you mean to tell me when the wealthiest men in all the country and from one of the best families in all the country it took Django thirteen years to track down? Yeah, and you know, out in the desert. I don't, I don't know about that. It seems a little far fetched. He must be a terrible, you know. Yeah, the, the timeline is weird. Like, what was Django? What, so, what was Django doing the entire time that he, between the war, end of the war and then finding these guys in Django the Bastard? Well, he was going to spooky, spooky squad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they should have. There should be a, another Django the Bastard sequel where it just shows him going to like a, a master of like hiding. And just <laughs> learning the moves, like a kung fu movie. <laughs> he goes to go see, yeah, make it like a kung fu yeah. movie, movie. But he goes to see like Solid Snake, and he just is like most effective way to hide cardboard box. <laughs> like, oh yes, very good, very. Wait, that's not around yet. You'll know. You'll be able to find one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but anyway, even if you get you get you can get past the whole. It took him thirteen years to find these people. He's back. Um, he's tracking down basically the Murdochs, um, who are ba- now a band of bandits who are just like sort of taking over towns and they're taking over Desert City. I was gonna say I don't know. I like I don't know what are. Uh, I don't think I, they're bandits because they hire bandits. I, I have think, no idea. What I think they're, they're just like be, they're really. just like we run roughshod. Yeah, a roving band of of uh, guys that like to to roll into town. So they go to Desert City, which is like the most generic name for a <laughs> Western village, and you just name it something like Armadillo <laughs> instead. But uh, they go to Desert City, and they um, they quite, kind of quite the city too. Yeah, they basically kick everybody out of the city. That was nice of them. I mean, it was because most of the time in spaghetti westerns, the, uh, the villagers are terrified, hiding in their houses because there's a fucking showdown in the middle of the road. Well, you know what? They're mitigating that by saying, you know what, there's going to be a showdown, so get the fuck out of the town. And they they do act rough about it, but you would think, like, the villagers would come back later on and they'd be like, thank God they asked us to leave because everybody's dead. <laughs> Literally everyone is dead. You forgot the whole part, though, in the beginning where uh, we had this intriguing fucking cattle story that goes, <laughs> goes absolutely fucking nowhere about... Her, well, she owns a herd of cattle, and the herd of ca- and the husband's dead, and we're gonna yes. take money, and we're gonna set, and we're gonna, things are the stuff. Yeah, a widow has a cattle herd, like, and they ooh. take her. They finally get her to sell it and stuff like that. I had no. I, I don't know what it's. I the the that whole storyline. Yeah, it really goes nowhere, and it really just sets up the fact that the Murdochs are in town. I. It doesn't really do much. Well, of they kill they kill husbands and then sell the livestock. That's their that's how they rustle. They're like, fuck you know. And then if the fuck Mur- trying to steal the cow, we'll just kill the and, husband. But I know. thought Rod Murdoch was like the richest person, richest guy in the country. Why does he need to do this then? For fun. <laughs> Actually, I think it's his brother, uh, Luke. Luke Murdoch, who uh, is kind of like the crazy Joker. Guy of the movie, he does make some Jack Nicholson uh, jokes. He's a fan. really, really disconcerting grin. I will say that <laughs> he's got a disconcerting voice too because it does not match oh, up. The, the dub, yeah, no, the, dub, the dub for him in particular is, is really bad. I just like, I just have a hard time because I know, I know it's hard to find a good dub of these films. Yeah, 
It's not often, but there there are some good, you know, dubs. Yeah. But I just find it hard to believe, like, people were, like, in studio directing actors to, like, portray this voice, you know, like, all right, we're going to dub this over, and they're hearing this, like, ha, 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 like, you know, like, doesn't sync up or match at all, like, how the character looks, and they're like, perfect, good they're, take. They're just giving the warm side of the door grin. Good, good take, just, good take. Just like, yes. Same thing with, like, the sound effects, when you're like, oh, he's walking on a nice stone church, oh, we're going to make it sound like he's walking on tile. Yeah. Well, you know what though? That, that'll do. That, that'll do. If I'm being honest, I would assume that they didn't even they weren't even like, you know how now when you do voice acting, you're watching the character on the screen like what their reaction is or they're even modeling it after how you deliver your line. I don't think that was the case at this time. I don't think they saw that the the scene at all. They just gave him the script, said read this line, and that was it. So they did I'm the sure, best they could with the, no, the, I'm sure the line they were given. I'm sure you're absolutely right, but it just like kind of baffles the mind. Like someone was just like, you know what? That's, cut it. Yeah, that's you know that's perfect. Cool. That's that's the take right there. You know, because yeah. his voice, his it's distracting. It is distracting. Like usually, like I like I don't like the lip syncing and all that. It doesn't bother me. I'm so used to it by now, but like when you hear voices, I don't like that's not something that would. His come is out definitely of. the worst in this yeah. movie. That does just stands out as like just not even being close to what was on screen. Um, the other interesting thing is that IMDb lists his name as Hugh or Jack, depending on the film that you watch. But we, in our dub, was clearly Luke, nice. which is weird. <laughs> I don't I don't know where that came from, but it was clearly Luke in this one. On the porn version, it's humor. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that that whole a- aspect of the film, the beginning of the movie, is a huge drag on the story. For one thing, this movie comes in at just about an hour and forty minutes around there, um, and the definition of a slog. Yeah, I was and. Usually, like with long, like films that are long in the tooth, and you're just kind of like, come on. I'm kind of, I'll like check my phone and kind of start tapping my foot like I'm Sonic, and you haven't moved me in like a minute um, in the game. I was, I, and Ryan can attest to this. I was literally like, how much fucking longer do we have? This is tedious. Yeah, this is like just beyond pedantic. Just sitting around watching this. I will say that the beginning of the movie is really where the worst of it occurs when they're doing the setup. And then once you get into the middle of the movie, it's not so bad, especially as Django's actually taking action and doing uh, some of his ridiculous takedowns, like throwing a cigarette that is apparently also dynamite He's into Jay- a fire. Apparently someone saw a James Bond film, you know, like right before this. They saw like, you only live twice. And they're like, it's a good idea. Yeah. We'll have something fucking explode. And I think too the the whole when, when there's actually action on screen, um, there is the other element of this movie, which is that it's very cheesy and that you can laugh at it because, like I was talking about, when he throws the dynamite in to the fire, it explodes as he's walking away, and then people are going out to try to find this guy that just did this, and then he appears behind them, st- sitting. <laughs> Well, like, the whole best part, the whole best part of that whole, like him throwing the uh, this cigar dynamite thing, he sits down at the campfire with these like ten guy, like bounty guys who are looking for him. And they're like, 
isn't that right, stranger? And he's like, that's right. And you're like, ah! All having a good time, sitting there laughing, and then yeah. he just throws a cigar and walks away. Like, no one was like, oh, sh- that was the, the stranger. You know, not it's us. A, yeah, it's hilarious because everybody just kind of welcomes him into this group. He's like some guy no one knows, and they're looking for a guy that no one knows who's killing people, and they don't suspect a thing. Um, and that's also like a Scooby-Doo moment, too, because when he throws a cigar, none of them are killed. They're all just like, Aah! Well, dynamite in this movie doesn't kill. This it just explodes, and it's an, a nuisance. Like, oh, shit, yeah. that could have been me. <laughs> like, it, But if you're like, it two, done if you're like two feet away from it, like, you're good. You're, you're clear. That's why they can play hot potato dynamite. Because even if it lands like right next to you and it explodes, you're you're fine. Yeah, it was it was a wood stick too, like for that thing. So yeah, yeah no, there's no shrapnel getting blasted into that guy's head or anything. No, everyone's uh, fine. Just it was just good old classic western fun. It's just you know, got nothing better to do out there besides smoke tobacco, drink bourbon, play poker, and throw dynamite around. Good time. I think the other problem with Django the Bastard is that. Um, the subplots to this movie really don't make any sense. So we talked about the, the one with the cattle a little bit, but there's another subplot with Alita who is sort of like, she's the, um, wife of Luke who doesn't really want to be married to him, but she's getting paid for it basically. And so she is then left with, um, the other brothers, Murdoch's men who are basically guarding her and keeping her hostage that Django saves her from. And then she goes back to them. And there's really like, besides the fact that she, that Django and her are setting up some sort of deal, there's no meaning or rhyme or reason to why she goes back, why she was left with these guys. Nothing really makes sense about it. And it, the movie just kind of plays it off. Like, yeah, this is a normal thing that normal people do. <laughs> you know, they're, they're left as hostages and then they just go back to them. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah, um, the subplots don't really go anywhere. Um, the main plot though of, of Django the Bastard really, it doesn't have a lot going for it either. It's, it's literally just a revenge flick. And, and in the middle of the film, it does a flashback sequence where uh, Django picks up a bottle of whiskey and he notices the label on it says Navy on it. Navy cut. Yeah, Navy cut. And he... Uh, we get a flashback of him as a Confederate soldier. Yeah. Which is funny because uh, from what I read in the original Django, he's a Union soldier. Yeah. And that's and it's also funny too because we're on the total wrong side of the war in this one. Django, well, our hero, one, is a Confederate. Well, that's one of the things I love because that's a common trope in a lot of the like uh, revenge spaghetti western films is like it's a... Uh, during the Civil War or, or they're after, mm-hmm. and the, you know they were a member of the war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Apparently, there was just all this fighting going on down in the you know New Mexico territory. Well, you know, I mean, yes, I know there was fighting out there, but it wasn't this you know great big hullabaloo. It wasn't like the siege of Vicksburg, right? For <laughs> God's sakes. The one thing that I like about this movie too is that uh, Murdoch and his other majors in the that are leading his troop, um, they are traitors. So they they are... You mean heroes! Uh, yeah, well, I guess they would be heroes in our sense. Yes, they, so they, they actually defect to the Union. I don't think they defect... I, I don't know what they do. They don't give a reason why they did it. Yeah, they don't really. They, they just wanted whiskey. They just betrayed 
they're a unit, and they're you know they wanted whiskey. So I don't th- again from what we see from this movie, I don't think it's for noble causes. Like you're right, the Negro needs to be free. Right, you know, no, it I, wasn't a noble cause. So I don't I, think we're supposed to get that. Or idea. or maybe it was like they realized it's 1868. War's been over for three years. <laughs> yeah, why, why are we we're still going, fighting? Fuck this, we're going home. Yeah, boys, we're down here. You go I, do what you gotta do. I I, I, I you know, yeah, so, it doesn't really give a reason for why they do it. it like it, literally, it is just that scene of that flashback. There's no like morals, or it's not like sporadically given to you throughout the film. It's really one scene. It happens <clears throat> more towards the end of the, or actually more towards the middle of the film than you would expect because. That means that there's not a lot – There's the film doesn't need to spend any more time on this um, revenge plot because normally in a spaghetti western, the revenge plots kind of doled out through some sort of flashbacks. Not and, it's constantly flashback too. Right. This is like a very, very, very minimal flashback sequence that occurs and it just explains everything to you. Yep, they – Went to the Union, then they they ordered a basically they they all massacred the Confederate troops, include supposedly including Django, and so everybody thinks he's come back as a ghost. He's a ghost Django. Um, I didn't think it was a ghost because of that. I don't think he knew realized who the fuck Django was. Some of them did though. They said, "Oh, he's a ghost." No, I know because like it was the hard. Of the film, I, I yeah. think because it was hard for them to kill him. He was a ghost. I don't think yeah. it had anything to do with that. Because I don't think Murdoch had a fucking and his other officers had a fucking clue of. Well, the first uh, the first guy that he kills does say you're supposed to be dead. Yeah, but so he does know who it is. But. He does, but I don't think Murdoch does. Yeah, he's just like Ugh, and then afterwards, once Django explains to him, he's like, "Yeah, I should. Yeah, I should have left you dead. Fuck you." <laughs> but it, it's it's very this film. If maybe it was at like seventy five minutes, would have been probably like a brisk, enjoyable, quick, you know, yeah. re- re- enjoyable revenge. Yeah, attack. because when you have the actual action sequences put in there, it's not that bad. It's all when it- all the film needed to do instead of having like that whole intro, fucking cow bullshit, and all like sub story and subplot and all that, just have after he kills the first guy, you get over the gimmick of. I got, you know, he carries around crosses and fucking plants them in the middle of the town and kills them right in front of the cross. After that happens, just move on right to Murdoch. Yeah. And doing that. And then, like, the what happens from there would have been a lot more of an enjoyable story. Yeah, I think it gets too bogged down in its own storyline. And then, other than that, though, the storyline is really not that interesting. So there's not really too much to focus on. And, uh, the. The other thing is that um, the director here, um, Sergio Garone, Garoni, I guess, Sergio Garoni, um, Baloney. <laughs> the the directing in this is like way too um, Italian. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that, but uh, it's just prolonged so much. So so a lot of scenes just go on for way too long. Well, that dynamite. Hot potato scene. Oh yeah, it was like seven minutes of like <laughs> watching two guys throw around some dynamite with the longest views dynamite yeah. ever. Just like, boop, boop, yeah. Boop, boop. The, the other things that like really stand out are like when she, um, Alita's gathering money up and stuff like that. Just those scenes just go on for so long. They could have been cut way down, and you don't need all of that extraneous. Just watching them do things. It's 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 way too long. Um, the other thing that stands out is the last like forty-five minute chase sequence of Django as he's hiding around in barns and takes fucking eons. 
didn't need that. You didn't need to have like, oh, he's human, he's human. Then running around searching, you know. That actually is ex- becomes excruciating. Like you start to get to the point where you're like, I wish this would just end. I w- like, and at a certain point, I was at the the thought process of like, I don't know if this is going to end anytime soon. So uh, one of the things I would kind of compare it to, but this one I'm going to compare it to is much better done. And I mean a lot better done is the chase sequence in the Bond film, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which actually came out the same year, uh, 1969. The scene where George Lazenby, after he escapes on skis from Blofeld's uh, retreat and then is being chased by Blofeld's henchmen throughout all of Peace Gloria in uh, Switzerland. It's like a tense 15-minute scene of him getting chased. But what makes it tense is because up until that point in the Bond franchise, we've never seen James Bond be vulnerable and potentially, you know, threatened. Mm -hmm. And it's actually the the way the scene's shot and how they do it, it makes it tense. And it makes you, like, feel gripped in what's going on in that moment. Mm -hmm. Here... Django is just the guy that runs around, you know, guns blazing, blowing everyone away. And now we're supposed to feel like, oh, he's vulnerable because Luke, you know, was able to graze a bullet from him. And he's yeah. just kind of pissing around, like hiding yeah. in stupid spots. And then we get like a gun showdown between like the bandits and Murdoch's crew who are hired. But they're like, fuck this. We want to leave. There's no tension. There's nothing to it. No. So it's. There's really no tension because most of the time Django's not in any danger. He's just literally hiding in a barn. Yeah. He's like hiding in some hay, and that's it. And that's like so. Then you're watching troops assemble in various areas, um, and and that's really it. So it just goes on and on and on, and you're like, come on, just just get it over with already. Um, to the point where you think like there's not going to really be a conclusion because there's like forty guys still, forty soldiers Wonder. still alive, and Django still. Holding his wounded arm as though he just got shot near the heart. Um, it just doesn't seem like a resolution is coming. So it has a nice, very stereotypical cut above his eye, too. <laughs> you know, for no reason. He's just, you know, bleeding from above his eye. The other scene that really stands out is excruciating. And it's not, I mean, it's kind of, um, I guess it works in, in the scene's favor. But uh, it seems like it, it was actually in, unintentional. It was when Django's being... Um, hanged by uh luke when he's pulling him up by a rope and that scene of him hanging is just really long as well and so that actually kind of works to its advantage because you're you're watching Django slowly being suffocated and so you're like oh yeah this is excruciating because it's excruciating for Django. but, but i don't f- think it was the uh, uh, the actual intentional reason why they did that well and it took him four minutes to realize Oh, a knife from a boot. <laughs> you know. The other thing that I like too about that scene is that Luke seems to have had no other game plan besides I'm going to hang this guy and hold on to him until he chokes to death. Because when he sees the knife, there's moments for him to react and he's just like, no, <laughs> no, they can't be. And it's like, you can like drop the rope and just go punch him in the face or something. Well, the, way, to... well, the way he was like, apparently on top of that, like church, like, um, steeple thing. Yeah. He's got how, like a, how the fuck did he get up there for one? Is he like a little monkey? Just like, yeah, like, they're like know. steeple rafters. And, and uh, not only that, he falls, it's like a 10 foot drop and he falls like, up. Oh, he's dead. He falls to his death. Yeah. Just. 
Not like, oh, I hurt. Not, oh, I sprained my ankle, you know, in the fall. No, nope. that's so a total waste of Luke as an antagonist because he's actually, I think the actor portraying Luke does a pretty good job of making him seem very manic. So it's just unfortunate that, like, he dies by falling off of a... Very, it's a, I think it's a cool idea, like, having him trying to hang him. I think it's a cool idea. I think it's just absolutely dreadfully executed. Yeah. No pun intended. I, I, I agree. Um, and we didn't talk about the music in this movie either. Uh, Scattershot. No Ennio Morricone. That's for sure. Absolutely. Like, all good spaghetti westerns. Totally scattershot with, like, it's... It's got the most like stereotypical woman theme. We only yes. have we only have one woman in here, so anytime woman's on screen, gotta have her woman theme with her soft focus lens. You know, gentle guitar strumming. Um, it is a very um. It it actually is kind of interesting how that occurs most of the time because like all of a sudden you'll just have. The um, Alita on screen and the music just, just totally shifts. It's like, oh yeah, we got the woman on here. Get a different theme. Um, but then there's also the really like all over the place uh, percussion elements to the uh, the main theme. Brass just thrown in, yep. whatever. You know. Yeah, that's like towards the end of the film during the showdown. You got the the brass element like. There's a great amount of sound effects, too, that are, like, cartoonish sound effects, mm-hmm. especially towards the beginning of the film. There's even, like, a slide whistle that's like, whoop, whoop. Well, that's why I was laughing when um, you said, like, hey, a lot of people think this is, like, start, like spaghetti western gothic horror. I'm like, yes, nothing says gothic horror like a pan flute sting that this film likes yeah. to have. Like, There's a lot of, um, like bongo type xylophones like yeah i mean it's not a bad score i wouldn't say it's a bad score it's pretty reminiscent of other spaghetti westerns not done by ennio morricone and even then ennio morricone did phone it in a couple times as you know in some of his scores but so i wouldn't say it's bad and it's not out of place um it's just, uh, it's not the best Spaghetti Western score that I've heard, and it does have it does its have, moments it where it's... It does, I would say, it does have good guitar stings. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it does have. Like, it does have a lot of really good, like, uh, guitar stings, like, you know, ding a ding Yeah, it does have, just have, like, those sort of droning moments where it's just... So it's not a bad score, but, you know, it. I think it's just not... It's just very standard for uh, Spaghetti Western. How'd you like the Django theme? Django. Django. It's not that, again, that's not out of place. It's very, very common to just whisper the names of your Italian characters. Django. Um, it's a fu- kind of funny, though, because a lot of times those types of scores, uh, thinking of like even like coffee. Like, those types of scores where the name is, like, very... Or Shaft. Um, that's How the, dare you the, compare this to Shaft? No, I'm just saying those types of themes where they sing the name of the, the main character, they tend to recur throughout the movie. Uh-huh. And Django's does not. Like, it's literally just that opening sequence of Django. And then the end of the film. Django. Did you forget? It's a Django film. <laughs> that's it. So, it's, it is interesting that... It, it doesn't tend to recur throughout the movie. It's just just that one moment. 
was just thinking in my head, like, imagine if it was like uh, Tim the Bastard. Tim, Tim. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, the one syllable you don't really get as much uh, emphasis on. Tim. <laughs> yeah, no. Sounds better with Jack. I said, just like something generic. Like, well, because everyone in this film, like I said, has generic white people in there. Like, Brett, Ron, Williams. <laughs> I mean, that's part of the Italian dub, to be honest with you. I think, or uh, the English dub uh, that, that is on the Synapse uh, Blu ray. But well, the same thing, too. The way they say Murdoch, it just makes me think of like they're saying Murdoch. Like, where's. I don't see no Danny Glover in this film. <laughs> Just yeah. some, you should when he's sitting there drinking his bourbon, he should have been like, "I'm too old for this shit." Murtaugh, too old for Django to be chasing me. Um, one other thing that I had that I wanted to bring up is, what did you think of um Anthony uh, Stephens Clint Eastwood slash Franco Nero impression? Awful. <laughs> and the a funny, fucking, the a funny thing is, like, this is not his uh, first time playing no. Django, and and it's also he. Would, Go on to do Django quite a bit in other films. Uh, you do other spaghetti westerns. And yep. Cellos and Polizia <laughs> Tuskies. <laughs> yeah. But no, I he I don't know how he is in other films, but he is a fucking bored in this. Like an absolute... I mean, I think part of it is like an intentional thing. He's well, trying, I know, I know, trying Clint, to be like... Well, I look, I understand Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, especially in those films, isn't the most charismatic person. I get that. But Clint Eastwood, the way he looks, his demeanor, it all carries a certain charisma with it. So, like, his stoicism and yeah. woodenness is enjoyable. Or, like, and, and also, like, his, uh, just his expressions and the way, and his mannerisms. So, yes. like, just, uh, you know, The way he holds, like, yes, yeah. the way he, like, smokes, you know, the way, he, you know, he kind of, like, holds his gun and stuff. Like, sometimes, like, uh, Jango's, like, kind of limp-wristed holding his gun, like, like, he was swinging it about, um, when they do, like, those POV shots, like, the way he's, like, holding his gun is very, like, kind of, like, mm. not holding... And I, I like how, like, he has that same sort of poncho swing, too, from Clint Eastwood. Yeah, but his pon like, his whole get-up just looks fucking cheap and chintzy and shit. Yeah. Maybe if he was wearing, like, what, Cl you know, Clint was in those films, like, in all his films, he'd look a lot better. Because his poncho and his hat don't, you know, his gun belt and all of that don't look fucking cheap. Here, I it, like, like I said, every and then it's not just him... Everyone's outfit in this looks like cheap, chintzy shit. Their gun belts all look like they were taken from a Toys R Us rack with, you know, a cap gun and shit. They, they, all, they all look like the most generic, bland... Like I said, there's assholes wearing pink union suits out there, you know? It's just like... It kind of looks weird. I do also like um, that Django, we get to see him when he's not the stoic Django. You get to see him when he's just a Confederate soldier, super excited about whiskey. He's like, Oh, you got some whiskey. And he's coming <laughs> yeah. and he's got a fucking British, uh, privateer, like, yeah. you know, maritime. It's completely different. It's like, his Django. Oh, jolly good. We should give, oh, you know what? You're right. We should give the whiskey to the officers. They, we, we sure work hard for our officers. Yep, 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 yep. It's oh, great. It's, it's because it's like totally at odds with Django, the stoic gunfighter. Well, after he got betrayed 13 years, he was working on it. I was like, not, not, I'm not going to be going chip, chip, cheerio anymore. Yeah. Yankee Doodle, motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that we see that, though, because, like, in Man With No Name, you don't really see Clint Eastwood as anything else. Because you have other people, kind of, yeah. there to be foiled, especially, like, in The Good and the Bad. The yeah. Eli Wallach is, you know, 
is what carries like you know the humor and all that, and then with um, a few dollars more, you know, Lee Van Cleef is playing off of him. I know he's also in the Good and the Bad and the Ugly, but he's the villain in that. Yeah. But a few dollars more, he's playing off of Clint Eastwood as a team. So, um, I mean, at least you do get to see uh, Django here in a little different character. I wouldn't say he's good, but you know, it's it's different from Django, the stoic guy who just shows up as a supernatural ghostly guy. So. Uh, anything else that you uh, want to bring up about Django the Bastard? He's got a great diving shot. There is a good diving shot. In not, yeah. day, not a day of anger roll, but it's, you know. Yeah, you've got that, uh, the moment in here where he's, basically, also, we should note that Django seems to have, like, sixth sense powers, because he always fucking knows where literally everyone well, is. Well, he never misses a shot, either. It's true. Yeah. Uh, but he dives out of the way of a guy that's, I'm um, gonna shoot him above him. He knew, knew, already knew he was there above him. Yeah, which is funny because every fucking thing in this film's got some random sound effect. But a guy walking on wooden boards, a wooden balcony above him, nothing until he creeps over the rail, like, you know, <laughs> goes inside, saddles it to, you know, yeah, which is pointless because if Django walks out, he could have just, you know, just leaned over the balcony. He didn't have to hop over this railing to like side straddle it, then shoot him. Just, I don't know. I don't have an explanation for that. I know, but it's just like <laughs> fucking god. Yep. Um. All oh, right. Same thing too with the guy that when the whole uh, the bandits and the the hired guns and Murdoch's men, the bandits like we're leaving. Fuck this, you know. And the one guy after the guy gets shot hops on his horse and then shoots the guy. So just you oh know, yeah, it was just the most. That's right. Yeah. That. No uh, common sense in that one. No, it was just, and everyone just was like watching him. Like it was like a turn-based RPG. Like no, no, he can't attack until he gets on his horse, and then uses his attack, and then you can attack back. <laughs> it's just <laughs> fucking stupid. All right, so uh, we got to give it a rating out of <clears throat> ten center-shaved mustaches. What would you give? Django the Bastard. Which, by the way, I want to know. I want to know if that was an actual thing or just something that came about in the westerns, where they would shave the center. Yeah, and just have like the side stash. I don't know. Some people probably can't grow in the center. No, I know, but it's just I want. I want to know. Like, I I don't believe that was an actual style. I'm thinking that guy. And they just like kind of pop. He's like, you know what? That would make the guy look menacing. You Thinking know? that guy was in a freak dynamite accident. You know, it doesn't dynamite doesn't kill you in Django the Bastard, but it does blow off your hair. Well, you know, back then it was the wild wild west. You know, especially in uh, capitalism back then, and you with patents and everything. So they probably had like laudium or something in shaving cream. And it's <laughs> yeah. like, you know what? After rubbing it on, he just couldn't grow hair there anymore. Yeah, just, just killed off yeah. his hair cells. So. Yeah. Um, so what would you give the rating? Uh, I would so probably, seven. I would give this probably a six, I would say. Of, no, I meant more, like, because I, I always go first on the rating. Uh, yeah. I meant, I, more, I meant more the, the, the rating system. How are we rating it out of ten what? I told you. Oh. Center, mu- center, center shaved mustaches. Oh, I must have, yeah. I yeah, must've. you missed that one. That's why I brought it up. Oh. So, yeah, out of ten center shaved mustaches, what would you give... Django the Bastard. Well, you can go first. Okay, so I'll, said, I'll go. You first. said you already gave. I already gave rating. my rating. Yeah. Uh, I would probably get. Yeah, fuck you fucked the whole thing. Yeah. Up. No, you did because I, you misunderstood what I said. Uh, I would give it six center shaped mustaches. Um, 
Django the Bastard is, I think, like a really, really mediocre spaghetti western. It's not on the scale of the worst films that I've seen. Uh, it is one of the more boring spaghetti westerns that I've ever seen. Um, I can probably think of like one, maybe. I, sometimes I think Two Mules for Sister Sarah was a little bit bo- more boring than this one. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, but uh, but that had, that had the fucking bring and the theme. Yeah, I know the donkey. But uh, I think that this is really a very mediocre spaghetti western that, though a lot of critics tend to think that this was some sort of inspiration, I really just think it was a copycat of a lot of other spaghetti westerns that came before it. Um, and I'm really surprised that like no one mentions that it's very close to a lot of Clint Eastwood films. Um Instead of inspiring Clint Eastwood films, I would say that it was probably taking a lot from Clint Eastwood films. And the original Django. Um, It's not like it doesn't have a great plot. It's a very, very generic plot with a revenge twist to it. That's you can pretty much see coming. Um, And I would say that throughout most of it, there is really no interesting story to follow. So you're relying on Anthony Steffen being a really good protagonist as Django. And he does an all right job, but he's not he's not very, you know, pronounced or anything like that. He doesn't have the um, characteristics or mannerisms that Clint Eastwood has or Franco Nero has so that it doesn't really he's not able to lead the film. And you're basically left with a few action sequences that are uh, somewhat interesting and also more so funny than anything. So, yeah, I would give it six and I would say that it's just a really generic, mediocre spaghetti Western film. I wouldn't recommend it to anybody who, who and say, like, you should really see this spaghetti Western. There's a lot better out there. I would probably give it a five and a half. Um, borderline five. But I'll give it a five and a half because the one saving grace for this film is the whole cross gimmick. Even though it's not used as often as it should have been. You know, Django should have been going through a lot more men and using that gimmick. That's what, like, for me, is, like, the best, you know, that was a really cool yeah, idea. I think that is its best idea. That's, that's you know, really good. Totally badass. Um, if, like, Clint Eastwood was doing that, or, or Franco Nero, or Lee Van Cleef, would have been, like, like oh, that's a, you know, fucking great. Awesome. Um, I think this movie's a slog to watch. It's terribly long for such a simple, uh, simple recycled idea. Uh, as I was telling you when I asked about the whole like copyright thing, this is the Italians or the Chinese of filmmaking. It's a rip off of a rip off of a rip off of a rip off. It's a rip off of the Man with No Name trilogy, which is a rip off of the Yojimbo, which is you know inspired by American film, you know, and on and on you go. Yeah. And by the time you get to this point of that thinking, they're not doing enough creative and interesting to make it unique. What makes a few dollars more a great rip-off remake of Yojimbo is that they set it in the West. You got Sergio Leone's touches, you know, directing to make it an interesting film. You got Clint Eastwood in there to make it an interesting film. Mm-hmm. Plus, it's only like 88 minutes long. Yeah. You know, and Sergio Leone becomes a better director, you know. By the time you get to Once Upon a Time in the West, it's almost a three-hour film, but he's mastered how to keep things paced, interesting, and has all the setting and story to go with it that make it great. Here, it's just like the most basic, bland, uninspired. One of the most uninspired spaghetti westerns I'd say I've seen. 
Um, I think if it was cut down, it'd be a lot more interesting. Like I said, if it was like 80 minutes, it would be a enjoyable, more, much more enjoyable film. Um, I, you know, not the actions, you know, very generic. There's, it's very cliched and over the top, you know, hammy when guys get shot. I, the score is like a blunderbuss. It's totally scattershot. There are in, there are good moments, but they're also low. Like I said, the guitar stings are really good. Um, the Django theme is kind of just funny, just because Django, Django. But overall, I would not recommend this at all as a film. I, like I said, I haven't seen the original Django, so I can't compare how how that is as a film. Um, but after seeing. A shit ton of Clint Eastwood and Lee Van Cleef uh, spaghetti westerns. This is like just like yeah, we took it and you know made it on a very low budget. Yeah. So I can't wreck it. Honestly, like like something like God's Gun when I think of, which was awful to watch too. Yeah. That's the least interesting because it's got like you know Lee Van Cleef in it. Yeah, that's true. You know that and because that's like like all those spaghetti spaghetti westerns we've done on here been all they've all been revenge tales. Yeah. You know, Man, yeah, Pride, have. and Vengeance, uh, yep. Death Rides a Horror, Stay of Anger, They've you know, all revenge tales. But I think it just, like, again, it all depends on the direction, the story, pace, actors. Just yep. like all films do. But this one, like I said, I... And the, and the fact that you said someone could, like, say, like, oh, it's like gothic horror... Stop! You're reach. yeah. You're, it's 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 that's really a reach. To, that's like a pitchfork review. Oh like, yeah. Like like oh, it's so niche. We're gonna you know bump this up and praise it because no one else is. Yeah, I think that's really a stretch with the gothic horror thing. I, I don't see it at all. Um. All right. Yeah. So that's it for uh for um this film. And what do we want to do for the next episode? Do we have a have that uh, blocked out yet? We don't. Um, let's see. So in two weeks, where are we going to be at? Um, so we would be around... 21st. Yeah, the 21st when we record. So anything coming out on the 21st? Or, well, I no. guess it would have to be the 16th. because I don't, I don't think anything until it, it in September. Yeah, I think we're good for a, a couple more weeks here. Um, so I don't know, maybe we'll do black shampoo next week or the next uh, episode, get a black exploitation film in here. We'll Something see. like that. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. So we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. I have an idea, but I'd have right. to find a way to get the movie. I could probably find it. If you, I uh, can't find it online. No, you, we, the DVD is available, but oh. I have to have you get it on Amazon. I'll have to check. I'll buy it, but <laughs> you'd have to get it on Amazon because you got Prime, so you get that one day shipping. True. Yeah. All right. So uh, in two weeks, we'll be back with a new episode. Um, but in the meantime, you can check out all of our old episodes uh, on any podcasting app that you can think of. We're on Podbean, um, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, anything. You can find us on there. Leave us a nice review. Subscribe to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast on Twitter at blood and black rum. We have an email address at blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com. And you can donate to us on our Patreon at patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast. It helps keep our podcast going. So thanks for anything that you can donate. Uh, and we'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. So hopefully we'll see you back then. Take care.